Hey, good morning, good morning. How are you? Are we awake? Let's do this. Pastor Dave is somewhere in Nebraska chasing the eclipse. I'm serious. That's really what he's doing. It's fantastic. Uh, I'm excited to be here with you today. Uh, I'm sick, so afterwards don't hug me or kiss me or shake my hand. Uh, we're going to power through. I asked him if he wanted to cover for me this morning, and uh, he said, I'm in Nebraska. I can't do that. So here we are. Uh, we are closing out the book of Galatians. Uh, we're in chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 11. We're going to take it all the way to the end today. Uh, I want to just talk about the major theme that's been playing throughout the entire book. And Paul is hammering it into the people of Galatia. He says, pay attention and it's all about what's going on with us externally versus internally. We're going to just talk this morning about an outside-out kind of life versus an inside-out kind of life. Where is it that we are living out our faith and how is it that we are living out our faith? I don't know if you've ever had a moment when your kids, your grandkids have laid you bare. And by that I mean... Uh, I was at a camp recently and I was talking to a lovely grandmother... And she was talking to me about her role on serving in different boards and, and all of the wonderful humanitarian projects, like really great stuff. I was really impressed with her as, as we were talking. Um, and as we were talking, uh, she had brought her two grandchildren to camp with her. And uh, they were twin boys. And as we're talking, they kind of are doing the thing where they're circling around trying to get her attention. And, you know, you're just kind of trying to push them away. And uh, one of them goes up to his brother. One boy goes up to his brother and he just kicks him right between the legs. To the shock and horror of the grandmother. And she's still trying to keep eye contact with me in the midst of this. And the one kid's going, he kicked me in the, he kicked me. And he's just running around. And they're like circling around her to the point where she just falls down. And I'm helping her back up. And all of that stuff that she told me about, all of the wonderful, that she just felt herself being laid bare and exposed, right? Have you ever had one of those moments? Yes? Okay. Um, I have two. I'm not going to tell you about any of mine. I'm just telling you about other people's. Um, but I, I found uh, some of the most embarrassing things ever blurted out by, by kids. Uh, this is the edited for church list, all right? So there's some really great ones that I can't read here. But um, how about this one? The kid yells out, Mom, please don't sell me on Craigslist. I'll be good. <laughs> right? How many times did that? If you do that one more time, I'm going to... Um, one lady said, during my divorce, while the kids and I were at Walmart buying groceries, I put a bottle of wine in my cart and my daughter yells, oh, look, mom's sad again. <laughs> uh, my son was feeling really badly about going to the bathroom in his pants. So to make him feel better, I told him that it happens to everyone, even mommy. The next day we walk into daycare and he told the teacher, yesterday I went to the bathroom in my pants, but mom said it was okay. It happens to her all of the time. <laughs> my nine-year-old daughter said, dad, mom said I'm like you. I don't have any common sense. Is that true? <laughs> How come you don't have any money? Are we poor? At the Walmart checkout when I told her we didn't have any money for toys. Or how about to the man with an eye patch? My four-year-old pointed and said, Look, Mama, a pirate. Arr. And my favorite, my son informed my mother-in-law that my husband hid from her when he saw her at Whole Foods. <laughs> we got some trouble brewing there. 
All right, where are we at? Um, let's talk about this. We're going to talk about boasting uh, this morning, primarily boasting in the cross. What are the things that we are, are boasting in? And I want us to really just have this passage uh, from John 10 to just be the place that we're going to center. And from all of this, we'll, we'll tie in uh, what Paul's trying to do here at the end of Galatians. And, and this is what it says. Jesus says this. He says, the, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Crucial and primary to the message and the mission of Jesus was that you and I would have life and that we would have it abundantly. Let that sit with us for a few minutes and we will dig into this idea and this concept. Would you go to Galatians chapter 6 verse 11. And Paul takes the pen from his scribe at this point, And he says, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. He wants to make a point. This is like bold and underline and the font just jumped to 40. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in what? In your flesh. Not in the life that you're living, not in your faith, not even... Not even in like how you, you live the rest of it, but in your flesh. You do this one thing. Now, primary to what's going on for the people in Galatia, the external evidence of your faith, according to the Judaizers, it's all about the ceremonial law, keep the law, follow the law, and circumcision. Now, this is not crucial for us here in Orange County. This is not the deal. But I will tell you that this is still very crucial and this is still very important amongst the Jewish people. Now, let's just, if you're here for like the first time, they're talking about circumcision at church. Yes, it's kind of all over the place here. But this idea of circumcision is incredibly important. Now, God commands it in the Old Testament. He says that a, a Jewish boy, when he turns eight days old, that he would be circumcised as a sign of a covenant relationship between that person and God. And it's fascinating. I've always wondered why eight days and find out later that God kind of knows what he's up to. It's in the eighth day that your body starts to produce vitamin K, which helps you in clotting. If you get circumcised, if you have a child that's circumcised in the hospital, oftentimes they do it on that first day. They give them a shot of vitamin K to help them to clot. So God knows he's the creator and the designer of our bodies. And so on the eighth day, that's when he told the Jewish people, that is when you are to circumcise your sons. Now, we have two boys. We waited on the eighth day because as Jews, we want to identify with our people. And, and so this was part of our custom. Now, I will tell you that at eight days, it's, it's pretty inconvenient. You might not know this, but about a week in, like, you know that first week of parenting where you're going through all of the, like, sleep deprivation? It actually goes on for years. Nobody tells you that. But about eight days, like, you feel like, okay, maybe, maybe we can do this, right? 
But the difficulty in being Jewish is like now you disrupt all of that because now you got to have... So Jewish circumcision is, is kind of an interesting thing. Um, there's this person called a moil. The moil is specifically trained in all they do all day is just circumcisions. It's, it's a Jew that has been certified by a bunch of rabbis to come in and they perform this procedure. And, I mean, it's the most bizarre thing, right? I mean, this is not how most of your kids, this is not what happened. But we invite people over. We go to Catella Deli out in Los Alamitos, and we order a whole platter of deli meat, and we make a big party out of it. Uh, and, and my wife is crying. I remember, like, my kids holding onto my finger, and they're screaming, and I'm screaming, and I'm weird. it's just a horrible, horrible thing. And to be, and, and beautiful, too, and we're honoring God and all. But my life, like, we get... Like, I know all of you, this is like summer season, right? Like, all of you get invites to weddings and stuff. We get invited to circumcisions all the time. Like, all the time. It's like, oh, another one. Now we'll just send money for this one. Just, I mean, that's it. Well, I go to a a, a circumcision for one of my friends, Jewish family. And uh, it's the eighth day. We're out in a house in Pasadena. And the moil arrives. He has his little black bag of tricks and... Uh, they're, they, they take the baby and get everything ready. And as I'm standing there with my friend, we're about early 30s, standing there with my friend, and the Moyle is talking to us, and he says, uh, so, uh, he, he talks to my friend, he says, so, uh, did you get it done? Said, yeah. Did you get it done right? And he said, well, I mean, at the hospital, you know, first day that, that his parents didn't go through with the whole thing on the timing and all that. He says, you want to get it done Right. You know it's coming. (laughs) And I look at my friend, and he's taking a moment to consider. Like, for me, there's just no way, right? Like, I know, guys. this This is just why, like, my life is just so much more fun and different than a lot of yours, is I know people who find out that they're Jewish at, like, age 40 or 50, and then they go get circumcised. I mean, not a lot of you have those people. I have a lot of those people in my life. Well, I'm looking at my friend who's now considering the offer from the moil. By the way, I'm already way off on time. I can't even believe it. Here we go. My, my, my friend says, no, no, I can't do this. No, this is crazy. The moil says, all we need is just a prick, just a little blood. And now he starts to reconsider. Dave's gone. I can tell whatever story I want, right? <laughs> so he says, all right, I'll do it. And I'm like, what? And then Moyle looks at me and says, you want in two? I can do two for one. And I'm like, no, no, no. They go into the bathroom. And they come out a couple minutes later. And I look at my friend. And he says, all right, it's official. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Well, the Moyle goes around and he tells everybody at the party, he's in. He's official. I, I want you to know that this is what Paul is going through. This is what Paul is trying to tell the people. There is a group of Jews who have now put their faith in Jesus. They are boasting in the cross of Christ, but the Judaizers are saying, no, no, no. we got to get the circumcision in. You've got to follow the laws. The cross is not enough. And Paul says, this is not true. This is, this is what this passage is about. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh, they try to compel you to be circumcised. 
so that they won't be persecuted for the cross. But it says, for those who are circumcised, and they say it's all about the circumcision and it's all about the ceremonial law, not even those guys are following the law. They don't even keep the law themselves. They desire to have you circumcised so that they could go around the party at the big circumcision party. They're holding the roast beef sandwich and saying, we got another one. This is not what they were called to. And for us, the deal is not circumcision, but I'll tell you that we have our own set of rules that we jump into and say, this is how I am called. This is what I'm supposed to do to live out my life. Now, there's an uh, outline in the bulletin if you want to follow along with me. I hope that I can stick to it. But I want you to hear this, that we've called Galatians uh, the gospel of freedom. And this gospel of freedom, it calls us to live and uh, to resist living an outside-out kind of life. We do not want to live this outside-out kind of life. Now, the temptation for us, for us in this room, is that we go to one of two extremes. Now, the first one is legalism. Legalism says, I can control God's affection for me by my behavior, by my righteous acts. If I do all of the right things, A, B, and C, then I can get God to love me. The problem with that is that when we don't, that we think that God is at war with us, and all of a sudden we've lost our salvation. But it's not about your works. I will earn his approval by what I do, my actions. It's me plus God equals my justification. And many of us, even in here, live a lifestyle that is very much in agreement with this. We live very legalistic lives. We say, well, I know it's all about grace and I've been saved, but we live a very legalistic life in that we've got to keep all of the rules. And we do it out of an obligation rather than out of a delight in that obedience. And so that's on one side. And on the other side, we have license. And license says that God ultimately doesn't know what is best for me. I do. It says, I will be the source for my own abundant life. It's this belief and this understanding that God is withholding from me. That God Really, when Jesus says in John 10 that he came to give us life and to give it to us abundantly, I don't know about that. Really, like, this book, the Bible, is, it's outdated. It doesn't speak anymore. It's just a whole bunch of rules. If God truly loved us, if God truly wanted life abundant for you, he wouldn't weigh you down with all of these laws. I know how to get life abundant, and I'm going to do it on my own terms. And I will tell you that that sounds like a very pagan, like sinful way to go. But I will say that we also live like that. We start to not trust God at his word. In fact, both of these, even though they're at these two ends, what they have in common, the truth is at, the, at their base is they both fail to trust God at his word. The, the legalist would say, I, I don't believe that God could actually forgive me. Those who live a life of license, they say, I think God is withholding me. 
He says that he's going to give me this life abundant, but I sure am not feeling that way. Case study. The garden. Everything comes back to the garden. We have God creating everything in Genesis chapter 1, and even at the end of 1 and going into chapter 2. These are the first two chapters of the book, right? God puts man and woman over everything. You have dominion over all of the animals. You rule. You have it all. Adam, you have a naked woman in the garden, and you are naked and unashamed. There is no shame. There is no sin at this point. Life is good. Just don't touch that one tree. And so now we get to chapter 3, and the serpent comes in. And the serpent, he says this, The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die, for God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. When you eat that fruit, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God is withholding you. If you really want life abundant, trust me, take things into your own hands. This is license. This is the offer that the serpent was making. This is the enemy coming to steal, kill, kill, and destroy. And then the passage goes on. It says that they took the fruit, and just like the serpent promised, then the eyes of both of them were open. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loin coverings. They covered up. They went into shame. And now, naked and unashamed is no longer part of the story. They realize that they're naked, and now they go into this covering. This is how it breaks out. We have the legalism that says that they, they knew that they were naked, and so they sewed together these fig leaves, and now we go into, this is, this is how I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to sew fig leaves. And I, I think that a lot of us live these lives where we are still putting on these fig leaves today. And the fig leaves for us, they, they show up in how we work. They show up in how we live. If I go on this mission trip, in fact, one of the easiest places to hide, one of the easiest fig leaves to put on is just coming to church. I think you can hide in the church. If you just learn the lingo, if you learn the songs, and this is the one where I'm supposed to raise my hand, and if I learn the Christianese, and I can say the right things at the right time, I can pray for people, I can serve, then I can hide and not really have any relationship with God whatsoever. And then it's on their license, the license side, that just says, you know what, you're right. God, God is not showing that he's evident. I mean, really, like, look at the world today. Look at all of the destruction. Look, and we start to undermine and we start to second guess. And all of a sudden, and especially in the culture that we live in today, we kind of look like fools. Where is God? There's so much evil. And so the serpent continues to speak. And we continue to buy into this idea that there must be more. And if God's not going to give it, then I'm going to take it. And we go about and we try to live out these lives that are not centered in, I have been saved through the cross. We are not boasting in the cross. That's where we're headed. But oftentimes it is our appearance. It is our acceptance. It is our approval. Those things that we are reaching for and trying to get 
that lead to us in this outward perfection, performance, and pleasing. This is how we are trying to live out our lives so that we at least feel better about it. But I, I, I think that for a lot of us, there is a bit of an insecurity. I think that we, we kind of vacillate between these two, or maybe you're all one and not the other, but I want you today, if you feel enslaved to either one of those, then I want to offer up this idea that, that God is calling us to something more. And that something more is freedom. Freedom. This book is not outdated. I believe that if we really truly understand what's going on here, that we will really have a sense of we are free. We are called to resist the outside out kind of life, but the gospel of freedom is it's an invitation for us to live an inside out kind of life. Um, Andy, can you come up? I have a friend here that's, that's going to help me out with something. Um, I, I brought a little prop and illustration. Come on all the way up here. Um, give her a round of applause. She's brave. Uh, this is about the halfway point in the message, so I might be boring some of you. And so I just want to, do you like coffee? I love coffee. Okay, I should have given you a mic, but uh, you don't need it. You're fine. Um, look at this beautiful, beautiful Starbucks mug. You like it? It looks good. Just nod. They can't hear you. It doesn't matter. All right. Um, I want you to hold this. And what I've done is I have brought in some beautiful Starbucks cold brew coffee. Do you, you enjoy coffee, right? Okay. So... And this is like the good stuff, right? The only like cold brew that's better is the one that Randy makes at the bookstore here. <laughs> Bonus points. All right. So uh, observations. I'm going to get a mic. Can we get a mic up? Here we go. This is called calling an audible. And I'm going to come back over here. Is it on? You got it? You're giving me a mic. I'll give you a mic. I'll kick you <laughs> off in a second though. Don't worry. Um, observations about the cup. Well, it's beautiful on the outside, but I can tell why you're sick. Oh, Yeah. Oh, can we zoom in? It looks a little bit dirty. It's a inside. little bit dirty. This might be your problem. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's, it's okay. Just, just deal. We're just going to have just a little bit of uh, cold brew. Just kind of swish it around and just take a drink. Are you willing to do that? No. <laughs> no, you're not willing to do that. Any of you willing to do that? See, I've done this with like junior hires and they'll just drink it because they don't care. They're junior hires. <laughs> the idea is on the outside, everything looks good and shiny, but on the inside, it's not something that you want to take a drink of, right? So what if I just get you like this? This cheap little, not Starbucks. This is just a little plastic cup, right? And, but it, on, on the inside, it's... It looks clean. Yeah. So would you take a little bit of that? Yes. All right. Here you go. Try that. And now she will take it in. Give her a round of applause. Thank you. Watch this. I'm going to trade you. You take that. That's good. All right. Here's the idea. Nobody would drink from the inside of that cup. On the outside... A lot of us, this is how we live, is I want to look good. A lot of you look really good this morning. But if we were to peel back the layers, and if we could see the heart like the Lord sees the heart, we would know that there's, there's some stuff that's, that's bubbling up in the inside there that makes it really difficult. If we go on, this inside-out kind of life, look in verse 14. It says, But may it never be that I would boast. Paul says, may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me. The world has no power on me because I boast in the cross of Christ. The world is dead to me. And then he says, and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything 
nor uncircumcision. It doesn't matter whether you do it or you don't do it, but a new creation. That is something that comes on the inside. It doesn't matter what you're doing on the outside. The circumcision doesn't matter whether you have it or whether you don't. It's the new creation. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation, right? Does that, is that hit in your head a little bit right there? And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Those, that invitation that you are now part of the people, you are part of the elect of God, that you are grafted in. And I love this. I, I spent a little bit of nerdy time on that word mercy. We know the word mercy, but... This idea is that the mercy, like in some context in the Greek, it means that God just changes the subject. Where somebody may want to come against you and say, but look, you've done this, you've done this, and God says, no, hold on, hold on, change the subject. But I, but I did this for them. I don't see the filthy garments. I don't see the filthy rags. I don't see the sin. They've been covered by the blood of my son. And so they can now walk in freedom. Some of you don't even need somebody else to point all of that out in you. You can do it all by yourself, all to yourself. If we were truly to live in freedom, then we would understand that we are free because of the cross of Christ. And then he finishes out, from now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. We know Paul was beaten for his faith and what he stood for. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. He's preaching grace. Through faith, we are saved. By grace, through faith, we have our freedom. Now, I want you to understand something, that this idea that we would never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ— through which the world has been crucified. This idea of boasting, uh, it shows up, I, I did a little word study this week, almost 200 times in the Bible. Uh, and as it goes through, what you start to realize and what you understand is that this word boast is actually war and battle language. If you are going to boast, this is like, hey, I am going to defeat you because I have this, this, and this. Here's a perfect example. In Psalm chapter 20, verse 7, it says, Some boast in chariots and some in horses. Okay? We're going to beat you because we have chariots and horses, and they're both bigger than yours. But we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. Um, I want to show you a video. This is a video of rugby. Big rugby fans in here? Anybody? Oh, okay. Seven of you. Perfect. Um, I'm not either, uh, but uh, I learned something this week that uh, there's, there's a team in New Zealand, and before every game, they do something called the haka. You want to see the haka? I want to show you the haka, because this is something that takes place before every game. This is at a World Cup final, whatever game. This is the very end, and this is intense. I want you to think about this idea of boasting as we look at this. Here we go.
Isn't that awesome? Next time my kids try to talk back to me, right? This is called the haka. It, was, it started as a war dance, and it was done to scare their opponents. The warriors would use aggressive facial expressions, such as bulging eyes and sticking out their tongue. That's kind of where this came from, right? right? They would grunt and cry in an intimidating way while beating and waving their weapons. And the second reason they did this was for their own morale. They believed that they were calling upon the god of war to help them win the battle. This idea is, is just strewn throughout Scripture. If you start to look at it, and that's what I, I love to find, like, this new concept and then apply that to, like, all Scripture and then just reread it, all right? Like, first time I went to Israel and sat on the Galilee, like, okay, I have to read the Gospels again. Because every time Jesus gets in the boat and he goes from here, now that I know where all of that is, I got to reread everything. Well, I, I got to reread all of this I'm boasting because it's this idea of what is it that you are calling upon? What is it that you're boasting about as you go into battle? And what is it that gives you that freedom, that morale that you go into? I, I want to just pull out, like we have, we have some of these, like, have you seen Three Amigos? Where he says, tell us we will die like dogs. And he says, you will die like dogs, right? Or that great moment from Ghostbusters where Bill Murray, he says, this chick is toast right? No. How about Princess Bride? You killed my father, now prepare to die. Well, there's, there's even some better. Can, I, can we keep the music? Get a little music here? All right. I am William Wallace, and I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men, and free men you are. I'm not going to try the accent. What will you do with that freedom? Will you fight? Aye, fight and you may die. Run and you live at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our right? You get that? This is the boasting. Or how about this great one? We're not goons. We're not bullies. No matter what people say or do, we have to be ourselves. And we're going to stick together. You know why? Because we're ducks. And ducks fly together. (laughs) All right. I had more, but I'm going to stop. Told too many circumcision stories. Listen, this is all throughout Scripture, friends. There's a boasting that leads to defeat. You remember this story? We have the Philistines on one side and we have the Israelites on the other. And a young boy shows up and says, I'll fight the giant. And they meet on the battlefield. And Goliath does his version of Ahaka, right? First Samuel 17, the Philistines said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Philistine also said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the fields. He's boasting in his own strength. That's a boasting that we know eventually led to defeat. But there's a boasting that leads to freedom. And young David, this boy, walks up to the battle line. And he says, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. 
That's what you're boasting in, Goliath. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. Next scene, David runs to the battle line and slays the giant. Your boasting is because you've been saved by the cross. We don't have to deal with the circumcision thing, but your boasting is not in all of your good deeds. Your boasting is not that you are a wonderful Christian that reads your Bible every single morning. Your boasting is not that you volunteer with children. Your boasting, my boasting is not even that I'm a pastor, right? Our boasting can only come because of the cross of Christ. And I want us to get this idea and this understanding that the gospel, the cross, is, is not, not just that thing that happened to you maybe 25 years ago or when you prayed with your mother when you were five years old on your bed. But the gospel of freedom reaches far beyond your moment of salvation. It is working and it is alive for us today. And this is where I want to close. The road to Emmaus, we know the story. Jesus has been crucified, he's resurrected, and he's walking along the road with two people who don't even recognize him. And as they are walking along the way, they start to have this conversation like, Jesus is a little bit like just kind of questioning, what's going on? You haven't heard what happened in Jerusalem? And they start telling all of this stuff. And he says, all right, well, thanks for the conversation. I'm going to go this way. And they say, no, 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 come come with us. Just come over to our house. Let's, Let's break bread together. And so Jesus is sitting with these two that were on the road to Emmaus. And this is the scene that takes place in Luke 24. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Pay attention. Then their eyes were opened. Does that sound familiar? Have we heard that language before? Maybe Genesis? Okay, pay attention for a second. Their eyes were opened, they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? I I want you to see this, that the cross is central to everything. The gospel is central. In, in, In the beginning of the story at the fall, they took the fruit that they weren't supposed to, their eyes were opened, and now they knew their sinfulness. And then Jesus comes, and it's interesting for me that Luke makes special mention of this at the end of the book, at the end of the story, where he says that they saw Jesus and their eyes were open. In, 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 in Judaism, this idea is called a remez, where you say one thing and it automatically triggers you to think about something else. When I say, our Father who art in, hallowed be thy you're, you're starting to think about something, right? Like it, you, you see that idea, you see that, that clause there. It says their eyes were open. And automatically we have this connection that Luke is painting for us. That at the fall, at that moment when their eyes were opened and now they knew that they were naked and that they were ashamed, that they were sinful and they wanted to cover up, that Jesus did away with all of that at the cross. And once again, their eyes were open to a new reality that he came to give them life and life abundant. It's not about the legalism. It's not about the license. But if we're going to boast, that we boast in the cross. The cross that gives us life and liberty 
that we claim Jesus as Lord over our life and we love him not out of an obligation. We don't follow all of the rules in this book because that's what we're supposed to do, but it gives us delight. Read Psalm 119 and just sit with the psalmist that says, I delight in your life. I meditate upon your words all day and night, right? Like for 150 verses, just the delight of obedience in following after. And when people see that and when you live that, you are truly that's Galatians that's what Paul's trying to get that's why he's writing so big here at the very end pull it all together that you live in freedom not because you asked Jesus into your heart a long long time ago but that you are still free today and that you need to live that way live in that freedom um there's a card in the seat back in front of you. And if this is stirring you in any way, and we have some options, but that you, would, that you would just say, man, God, you are stirring. And maybe you want to recommit your life this morning. You say, I want to follow. I want to live in this life of freedom. Maybe you have been living in slavery to license and legalism. And you say, I need to put a line in the sand today and I need to start living differently. Then, then let us know. And then pray with us and tell us what's going on. We want to know. And maybe what you want to do today, and you're just deciding this is, I've never been baptized and I want to do that. And what's interesting is even baptism is this outward sign, right? But we do that not for anything that we've done, but all glory to God. As we reenact the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus in baptism, that we declare him, we boast in him. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to receive offering this morning as an act of worship as well. We're going to continue to sing, but we're going to also just connect with this idea that I want to love God from the inside out. That that is what I want my life to be like. Would you join me as we pray? Lord God, thank you this morning. God, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And be with us in this, that this struggle for us is real. That this struggle for us is an everyday battle. Help us to live in and walk in the freedom of your gospel. We know that the cross is offensive to those who are legalists because we, we look at everybody else out there who's not living the life that we're trying to live and we say that your grace, your grace even goes to them. God, I pray this morning that our hearts become alive, that there is a weight that's lifted and we see that you truly love us, that you want the best for us, and that the life that you have offered us is life abundant. In Jesus' name.